Live from the Hollywood Improv, it's the Nighttime Show. With us as always, our head writer and producer, Matt Walker. I'm the voice of the Nighttime Show, Mike Black. Our very special guest today, star of Beautician and the Beast, the Nanny, and the president of Cancer Schmancer, TV legend, Fran Drescher. And now, the hot mess that even the nanny couldn't pick up, Mr. Steven Kramer Glickman! Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Fran Drescher, thank you so much for being here. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure. How is everyone? Everyone. Very terrific. We're all, we're, we're all doing great. Um, I, I wanted to... Uh, Say, uh, I, being a being a, as as big a part of Cancer Schmancer as you are, and that uh, this is a, a you know such a huge deal to you. It's also a big deal to me. My mother had uh, lymph node cancer, uh, oh. third degree melanoma lymph node cancer, and and beat it uh, about tw- twenty five, almost thirty years ago, and is healthy and happy. Thank. God, mm-hmm. so oh, thank um, God is right. It yeah, this really it it hits home for me, and I know that that it's something that you battled as as well. Yes, yeah, not that particular kind of cancer. Uh, although I have a dear girlfriend who is currently battling metastasized cancer, and your mom is really lucky because they told her that uh, word even ten years ago. Her battle would be much greater, but now they have some very effective immunotherapy that seems to be uh, working uh, very uh, well with uh, melanoma patients. So there's always uh, optimism for new and innovative, uh, 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 you know, care for people with different kinds of cancer. Mm -hmm. I had uterine cancer, so... You know, but my uh, problem was it took me two years and eight doctors to get a proper diagnosis. I got in the stubs more times than Django. (laughs) 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 And, uh, (laughs) you know, it's just crazy because I, I absolutely had classic uterine cancer symptoms, except that I was atypical in the sense that I was uh, young and thin, and most women that get it are either postmenopausal or obese. Hmm. But 25% of the women, which is one in four, are young and thin. So it seems like they should have ruled that out before treating me for a more benign perimenopausal condition. Hmm. Most uh, women don't realize that, uh, particularly with gynecologic cancer, at its earliest and most curable what I call the whisper stage, uh, it mimics far more benign illnesses. And many times, you know, these doctors uh, subscribe to the philosophy, if you hear hooves galloping, don't look for zebra, it's probably a horse. (laughs) So if the earliest symptoms look like perimenopause, or in the case of ovarian cancer, looks like irritable bowel syndrome, uh, they'll treat you for that and, and hope for the best. And that's why all too often when the symptoms really show, you're already in advanced stages. Right. And that ends up being why we tend to lose our loved ones to cancer because all too often they are diagnosed in the late stages. And so 
once I recovered from a hysterectomy, which was the cure for my uh, cancer, and by the grace of God, I was still in stage uh, one because uh, it happened to be a slow-growing cancer. But had it been ovarian cancer, I would probably not be here today. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, I decided that I was going to write a book about it. So what happened to me wouldn't happen to other people. But then when I went on my book tour, I realized that, you know, what happened to me has happened to millions of Americans by means of misdiagnosis and mistreatment. Yeah, and as yeah. an unfortunate consequence for many late stage cancer diagnosis, when the battle is so much uh, more difficult. What can so you... I, I realized that the book was not the end, but just the beginning of what's now a life mission. And I founded um, the Cancer Schmancer Movement, mm-hmm. the same name as the book. And I call it a movement because it's a whole new holistic approach to uh, empowering yourself, to taking control of your body, to knowing what the early warning whispers are of the cancers that may affect you and the tests that are available, because frankly, they may not even be on the menu at the doctor's office if they happen to be tests that your insurance may not cover. And uh, and then, uh, you know, I... Um, also, I, I think that um, you have to become better partners with your physician. You have to yeah. transform from being a patient into a medical consumer. You, these are all things that uh, the Cancer Schmancer Movement has coined to uh, educate, motivate, and activate people into not being patients. The very word implies Passivity. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. that was just the cornerstone. Yeah, you have then to lobby for yourself. To, exactly. Totally. If you don't, what are you doing? You're putting your life into someone else's hands. I don't care if they are, you know, uh, a doctor. They're, they're just human beings with their own problems. Yeah. And when the doctor calls and tells you of cancer, at the end of the day, he goes home and eats dinner with his family. You go home and eat your heart out with yours. So yeah. it's your life, and you got to take control of it. And that was kind of just the cornerstone. Then I began to create a whole new vision as to, well, why are we getting cancer in the first place? And why isn't anyone asking why? Why are they trying to just treat the end symptom, which is cancer? Right. Because, you know, uh, cancer is kind of just the end stage of a long history of, of internal inflammation. Yeah. So what's right. causing the inflammation? That's causation. That's what we have to be looking at. Causation and the elimination thereof. Otherwise, this is the equivalent of like, you have an apple tree that's yielding rotten apples. What are you going to do? Try and rehabilitate each apple? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. You're going to immediately look at the trunk, look at the roots, mm-hmm. see what is causing the problem. We don't do that in most Western medicine. And therein lies the rub. And that's where the movement comes into. It's really a grassroots revolution. We have to stop thinking that way because it's unsustainable to try and do that. As long as we keep over 95% of most cancers, most disease, forget about just cancer, 
Most dis-ease in the body is environmentally stimulated. Yep. So until we start looking at our environment, what we're eating, what we're, uh, all of our personal care items, including oral hygiene, everything we clean and garden with, that's a very progressive program that we came up with called Detox Your Home. Because the home is the most toxic place we spend the most time in and ironically have the most control over. Yeah, So we have to look at that. Yeah, uh, in my neighborhood where I grew up, both my parents got cancer and about a dozen people on our street. And I was like, there's something going on other than these people just randomly getting it. It's, it's got to be more than that. And was then they, that area considered a, cl- a cancer cluster? Uh, not that I know of. I, I, I don't think anyone has actually looked into it. It wasn't until my parents started telling me, oh, so-and-so down the street has cancer, and so-and-so. I was like, that seems a bit odd, doesn't yeah. it? And they were like, Were you drinking yeah. well water? Uh, no, as far as I know, the water is actually great. Now, we are near power lines. I know that sounds like a joke, but they're like... No, not at all. I wouldn't live very, near power lines. Very close by to where we live. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't live near power lines because, you know, that's another thing that's so archaic. We are energy fields. Yeah, uh, right. You know, yeah. uh, that's, that's what we are. And uh, we're in complete harmony with the natural energy of the planet and absolute disharmony with electromagnetic fields that come from electronics and electric uh, cable lines and all of that stuff. Yep. And uh, it discombobulates us and disallows our body to uh, function at an optimum. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this event that you have coming up. Oh yeah. Well, you know, we put on annually a couple of uh, things that we offer the public, uh, and the next one that's going to be coming up will be our masterclass health summit. We were actually just discussing that. Normally, we put it on in October, November, but we we are concerned that maybe. Uh, people might be so distracted by this year's uh, presidential election, mm-hmm. uh, as well as, you know, congressional uh, elections, sure. that uh, maybe it's not the best time to put it out there. And since we depend on this to get an audience so that we can raise uh, donations to keep us able to do the good work that we do, uh, we may push it a little bit until maybe after the new year. So, uh, but normally it's held in person and live streamed, and then it gets cut into what we call an edu series, and that's put out to the public once again, uh, aired over like a week, uh, several speakers each day, and then you have the right, you know, the opportunity to buy it as a downloadable because it's so dense with fabulous information by many cutting-edge doctors and medical authors who really got woke and think outside the box, who went to medical school, drank the Kool-Aid, and then began to think there's got to be a better way and began looking at the body as a holistic approach, you know, that it's all, uh, you know, interdependent and interconnected 
systems within systems. And unless you look at, you know, the uh, that certain symptoms are really just indicators of other things going on behind the scenes, it's uh, it's it's very uh, problematic. And so uh, we want to present to the public other options so that when God forbid you find out that there's something wrong with you, uh, you can make an informed decision because you don't have one slice of the pie, but the whole pie of everything that's innovative and cutting edge that's being uh, done currently. And, uh, you know, we try and deal with the whole body and deal with many different specialists uh, who are looking at the whole body too. So it's always a very, very informative, uh, life-changing experience. And I encourage all of your listeners to go to cancerschmanza.org and sign up. That's all you have to do, and it's free. And you'll get all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, ongoing updates of um, cutting-edge information and uh, articles and things that we think you should be aware of. But then also, when is the next event? How can you participate in it? And things like that. Oh, and very cool. Even Love right it. now, you can go to the website and just sign up. And then for free, we are offering so many things on our website from our uh, WTF, We the Future Teen program, where we're trying to get the attention of uh, teens and tweens to be actually be the change with a, a very um, viewer-friendly, entertaining education video starring Jamie Foxx and a oh, bunch wow. of kids and myself oh, and, and Jeff Bridges. Yeah, and it's got animation in it, and everybody should have their kids watch it because it's just, you know, I mean, it's just uh, pointing out to them what advertisers will never do yeah. because, you know, Kids are very easily manipulated, and uh, they're the first generation in U.S. history predicted to not live as long as their parents. Wow, wow. So we don't want to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. We want to wake them up and shake them up and motivate them to share with their family and friends and their parents uh, what needs to be done, because... They're getting inundated with toxic chemicals and carcinogens from the minute they wake up to when they go to school, to the clothes they wear, to the foods they eat. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's just a cacophony of, uh, you know, hormone interrupters and disruptors and uh, all kinds of things that are compromising optimal health and they are our future and they don't vote and they don't play pay taxes so they don't <laughs> wield a lot of influence with our elected officials yeah but that's where we step in at cancer schmanza because we're a non-profit and we just want to help people and uh create this revolution where everybody's going to ask why yeah, yeah, that's you know, fantastic. I, I think it's uh, amazing, Fran. You know, we've uh, we've had uh, around uh, 180 to 200 or so guests on our show, and maybe 
I don't know, like an a, like a tenth of those people uh, have used their influence and their career to be able to make like a great change in the world and and to like add you know aside from from the work that they've done in comedy and in things like this and it's just it's so nice to hear that you're you know this is this is so important to you because it's so important to so many other people yes. and, and you really are making like a huge impact by, by doing well, this. I appreciate you saying that. And I have to say that, you know, look, no one leaves this planet unscathed. Eventually life's going to bite you on the ass and you're going to say, why me Lord? But you know, at some point you have to play the hand that's been dealt you as elegant and courageously as you possibly can. And one of the life lessons that I've learned that might be helpful to your listeners is turning pain into purpose is very healing. And it also helps to make sense out of the senseless. So, you know, I'm not glad I had cancer and I don't wish it on anyone, but I am better for it. It's made me uh, a better person. It's made me a more empathic person. Uh, It's made me, you know, a, a person that has a lot of purpose in their life and gets a lot of gratification from uh, taking my personal experience and sharing it with the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Hey, Matt, before we continue this show, i got to talk about something that is it, it's crucial to our show. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for this company, we wouldn't really have a show. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Zoom. Okay, Zoom Recorders, the Zoom Corporation, they provide us with one of the damn coolest things on the market. What, what, are, we, what are we recording our show on? We're recording on? right now on a Zoom L8. Oh, it's, it's so awesome. It's so cool. It's yeah. so beautiful. We can do anything with this thing. Now, Zoom uh, was established in Tokyo. It's based in Tokyo, and they have been equipping creators around the world, innovators in uh, audio equipment. These guys just don't stop. Whether you're a classically trained pianist or a run-and-gun filmmaker, they have a, the item for you, the recorder for you. Mm-hmm. It will fit in your bag, and it will fit in your budget. Uh, and we've gotten to record our show all over the damn world. Epcot Center, LA Convention Center, Ed Asner's house. Oh, my God. So cool. Yeah. So check out zoom-na.com. All right. Let's get back to the show. Um, we have mm-hmm. a lot of we had a lot of questions. We put things out in the world to let people know that we were going to be chatting with you. And we did get a lot of questions. And the, the one that one of the ones that kept popping up like again and again and again and again mm-hmm. was Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. Which is your first acting credit uh, on IMDb? Is that was that your first acting job? And what was it like working on? I, I did a couple of commercials prior to that, you know, but that was my first real acting job in a movie or in anything really. I mean, besides before that, it was like a McDonald's commercial, a Dad's <laughs> Root Beer commercial, all this. <laughs> you know, type thing, but... Uh, Does anything from like the commercials a, uh, stick out? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because, ironically, I never actually... I always was a principal player, but I never actually spoke. <laughs> so, that you is know, ironic. the world, you know, they nobody really saw uh, that, you know, how to monetize the voice. I had to figure <laughs> that out for myself. <laughs> <laughs> But then in, in Saturday Night Fever, I just rewatched that scene the other day because uh, I we were I knew we were gonna interview you, and you are sort of the impetus for him taking over the dance floor 
in the big dance scene of the dance movie. Like it's like the biggest iconic scene in the movie. And exactly. It's, and I never. And many times when they show the clip, I'm standing there in the background. Yeah, you're like in the background yeah. with your arms crossed. Like you're upset because <laughs> right. he abandoned you to go dance by himself. Exactly. And it's like watching the scene. I was like, oh, it's I never realized you were the background before. Before uh-huh. I watched that, yes. it's like it adds a nice little subtle tone to that scene. Um, which well, is a nice you thing. know, I wasn't directed to do that. I just did it because, you know, I wasn't ready to, you know, I felt like I created a little character for myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't going to, like, uh, be dismissed that quickly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and besides, I wanted more screen time. <laughs> Smart. And uh, I also, you know, grabbed his ass as we were walking mm-hmm. out to the dance floor. <laughs> that was my idea, yeah. too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And how long did that take to shoot? Because I imagine with the, the choreography and, and that scene, like how many times did John Travolta have to do all of that? I think that I worked there about actually two weeks. Wow. Because uh, that was a very big dance number. Yeah. And then there was also when I, you know, he does his scene with the brother and then I walk up to it. And that was a whole different setup Mm -hmm. and all the extras and everything. Uh, And uh, he was going through a difficult time then because uh, his uh, girlfriend at the time was an actress, an older woman. She was struggling with cancer, and eventually it got the better of her. Yeah, oh, wow. Um, and he was not in a great place emotionally, poor thing, and now he just lost his wife again to yeah. cancer. So yeah. it's, uh, it's sad. I mean, kind of we've come full circle that no one leaves this planet unscathed and everybody is touched by this terrible disease. And, you know... Um, it 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 it's uh you know poor health is the great equalizer it doesn't matter who you are how wealthy you are how famous you are what a side of uh the um you know political parties you align yourself with <laughs> yeah. right. none of that matters and that's why actually i've been a successful lobbyist in washington because i can speak to people that i have very little in common with but mm-hmm. Everyone has a story to tell about how they've been touched by cancer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that becomes, you know, uh, a great unifier in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, speaking of Washington, uh, you had a resident of Washington now on The Nanny with you, uh, Donald Trump, when he was on every sitcom in the 1990s, it seemed. <laughs> I don't know. And, 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 I believe he was also. I believe he was also the spokesperson for Burger King. At one point. So just remember that. Is that true? And he was. Yeah. He absolutely was. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, and his wife, his, uh, they were already like divorced, uh, mm-hmm. but Marla Maples was also on the oh, okay. nanny. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, what was you that know, like? It was all very new, the, separate, the divorce. <laughs> what was it like on, on the set with him? Because I've heard that he was rather difficult to work with on some of these things he did. He was not difficult at all. He was, you know, uh, um, no, he wasn't difficult at all. Um, he, the, the, you know, in, in the uh, scene that I was in with him, I, I was standing between him and Mr. Sheffield, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, all you millionaires are alike. <laughs> and uh, Peter, my now gay ex-husband, got a handwritten note from 
somebody uh, in his camp that said, um, you know, uh, Mr. Trump is not a millionaire. He's a billionaire. (laughs) And we would like you to change that. Wow. And uh, (laughs) Peter, for some reason, thought that it was such a crazy thing that he actually frames it. Really? <laughs> and he wow. still has it. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, that's amazing. That's a great I thing know. to have. And when yeah. we uh, decided to, I mean, we wanted, to, we wanted to accommodate him, but we didn't want to write billionaire because that didn't sound like something Fran would say. Yeah, right. So uh, we asked if he would agree to Fran saying zillionaires. <laughs> yeah. And that he was okay with. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's nice. <laughs> but he a zillion is more than know, a billion. <laughs> he wasn't difficult at all. And in fact, I had a speaking engagement in Palm Beach. Uh, maybe it was like a year or two after that. Maybe it was a year. Um, and uh, I didn't want to stay. It was uh, speaking. I didn't want to stay in the hotel that the event was in because then every time you're in the lobby, it's like all these people that know that you're keynoting, that you can't go anywhere, sure. you know? Yeah. So I wanted to stay someplace else. And I remembered that he had this hotel, Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. So I called them and I said, it's Fran Drescher. And, you know, I remember, um, uh, Donald saying that he had this place called Mar-a-Lago uh and uh i was always welcome and uh i'm going with my parents to palm beach because i have a speaking engagement and i was wondering if maybe you know we can spend a long weekend there Mm -hmm. and they said you know it's actually a private club but um mr trump you know uh, likes you very much and would welcome you to uh, come stay at the hotel. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were supposed to go, but then they gave us all the dress codes. <laughs> and I said, oh, you know what? I, I I don't think, I think this place is too fancy for us. Yeah. Uh, I'm, my dad's not going to wear, you know, a, a collar shirt and, yeah. cuff and, you know, trousers to go yeah. to the dining room. Yeah. And a top hat. Yeah. You know, right. it's, it's not our scene, and I really appreciate it, but I think that it's, uh, it's not our style, and we like to be more casual. We want to... You know, we want to go and have French fries and hamburgers by the pool in our yeah. flip flop. Exactly. Yeah, I, I just so, picture the dress uh, code. We ended up staying at the Four Seasons. Yeah. I, I just away picture. From the, <laughs> what? Sorry. I was, was going to say, I picture that dress code being like a picture of Mr. Monopoly with like an arrow being like, dress like this. <laughs> with a monocle. <laughs> no, I think that it was just more very, you know, like, uh, I don't know, you know, like, uh, yeah. I guess, uh, old. Old, kind of old money Palm yes. Beach yes. Yeah. attire uh, that they were aspiring to, and they're certainly allowed to, but it's just not my uh, thing. And it's yeah. definitely not my parents, Morty and Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know, we don't want to go to a place where we're going to feel out of place and people are going to be looking at us like, you know, who are these people? <laughs> 
Well, you know well, what? I, well, I they're invite... letting the riffraff in now. <laughs> right. <laughs> once once things open back up, I invite all three of you to come with me to Hooters. So, so <laughs> <that'll> be, <laughs> you're more than welcome. No dress code. Is it organic? <laughs> it is absolutely sure. Uh, <laughs> Let's yeah, just right. say yeah. Some of it is. Some of it is. Uh, I can assure you, there's no dress code. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, you have such a, 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 a like a great reputation. On uh, for being so kind and uh, generous with your time and your uh, and and just I mean on the set of the nanny how uh, like other like a lot of people that commented on my um, it sounds like I'm having a stroke while I'm telling you this <laughs> like I'm just like <laughs> um, a lot of people that left comments and you know like and were like uh, and questions for you had just wonderful things to say. People who worked on the show with you had wonderful stuff to say. Uh, this One of uh, our friends, Bonnie Morgan, said that she played a nerdy, hopeful, romantic little girl on The Nanny when she was a kid and that you wrote her the sweetest note after you guys finished filming and were, like, very kind to her. And she like included a picture, which was, like, so sweet. And... Um, uh, then, like other people from other shows that had that had worked on Saturday Night Live, said that they uh, always wanted to be respectful as far as like they had heard that that like they some some people in the cast were trying to do like impressions and they wanted to make sure the impression was like right and nicely handled of you. But um, have you ever dealt with uh, you know people imitating you and and trying to? use it for other things for cartoons for you know uh snl for other stuff like that uh oh definitely i mean and uh, I, i've been you know um they've done imitations of me at least twice that i know of on snl and uh you know that i've been on you know they've done me on i think it was uh um the simpsons Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, maybe what was that well, other one? Called? Off the top of my head, I can think of. Uh, I don't know if it was a direct influence, but Harley Quinn on Batman the Animated Series comes to mind. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Very- oh yeah, and uh, yeah, they the you know there was that. I think it was Netflix. Um, wine Country uh, movie with uh, Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, my yeah, Rudolph, yeah. and they did a whole thing. Yeah, it was like an art show. And, did they tell yeah, you they the were going to? Yeah, the art show. Yeah, it's an art show, and it was all about art about you. Did you know that they were going to do that? No, and I, <laughs> I, I connected with her after, and I said, you know, I'm so flattered. That's so nice. And might I get uh, the uh, prop of me <laughs> painted as uh, the uh, queen mother? <laughs> It could be a delivery at the front door. Just look through the people. The dog is suddenly barking. <laughs> and, you know, I get so much delivery. I have made, through this pandemic, delivery uh, uh, high art. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really? But they, they sometimes they don't even ring the bell. They just, they just either drop throw it through the gate or oh, leave God. it in front of the gate. Mm-hmm. But the, I have a, a large animal, and he's she's an excellent watchdog, so... <laughs> uh, she just ran out of the room barking, and <laughs> something's going on. Well, so did they give you the painting? No, I never got the painting. We oh, Polar, come on. <laughs> I know. We had lunch one day, but I never got the painting. Oh, 
I would have loved it, though. <laughs> That would be a good one to have. Uh, yeah. One of our questions oh, yeah. that we got was from Chris Romero. He asked uh, about your friendship with Robin Williams on the set of Jack. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I did two movies with Robin. One was Jack and one was uh, Cadillac Man. Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, I uh, I loved him. And uh, in Cadillac Man, you know, I had a much bigger part than I did in Jack. Um, and... Uh, uh, I always admired him and how he functioned on a set and how respectfully he treated everyone from, you know, someone that was pushing a broom to his co-stars and everyone in between. And, uh, you know, he always seemed to me to be a bit of a sad clown that needed a lot of uh, caffeine yeah. to uh, get that energy up that he had become known for. And, uh, you know, uh, but he was actually a very shy, quiet person and uh, very gentle. And I I actually was just talking about him today uh, when I was on the phone uh, with my mom, because, you know, there's a lot of people that have uh, committed suicide over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, It's becoming more and more of... uh, a common thing that you would know someone that killed themselves right. and yeah. uh sad sad to say but true and um especially right so, now with all the everyone in quarantine people get real low depressed of it. yeah and you know if you mix alcohol with antidepressants that's like a recipe for suicide so you know it's just it's uh uh, dire times for many people and uh, and then you know uh, having fame or having money doesn't preclude you from uh, carrying the weight of a lot of baggage uh, from your life or life experience or early childhood that eventually just gets the better of you mm-hmm. Uh you know, given cer- certain circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Matt, before we continue the show, we really have something big that we have to announce. Mm-hmm. I have to announce it right now. Okay. It's a big deal. 2020 is a very exciting year. It's a big It's a big year, buddy, mm-hmm. because it's the 75th anniversary. Uh, of what? 75 years old. Who's 75? I'll tell you who's 75. It, it, it's not William Shatner. It's no. not George Decay. No. It's not Leonard Nimoy. It's Sennheiser. Sennheiser. Oh. Sennheiser, the microphone uh, and audio company, that, the company that provides our amazing microphones and our incredible headphones that makes us sound so incredibly Yeah, amazing. we just got a whole new setup, these MD42 oh. microphones, the HD25 oh, headphones. These things I are love awesome. Them. I love them. And these guys, they're the top. This is top-tier microphones, top-tier headphones. If you are looking for uh, audio equipment, if you're a a singer songwriter if you're a, a voiceover actor if you're if you're trying to get into the podcast game Sennheiser is the way to go if you're an audio engineer don't go anywhere else go straight to Sennheiser if you have someone in your life that loves audio this is the place to do it Sennheiser's the way to go uh, go to Sennheiser.com that's S-E-N-N-H-E-I-S-E-R.com and uh, all right let's get back to the show Absolutely. Now, you were also in uh, a couple movies that we consider classics for sure, um, one of which is This is Spinal Tap. 
Oh, um, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We have, like, 45 people ask about this is Spinal Tap. Like, yeah, comment after like, comment. People people really want cool. to know about that. What was that, what was that like? What was that set like? What was that like to, to work on? Uh, well, you know, it was, I, um, I was shooting a Dan Aykroyd movie called Dr. Detroit. Mm-hmm. One of my and, favorite movies ever. Wow, thank you. <laughs> I love that movie. And, you know, uh, Simon Dixon and Dan Aykroyd met on that movie oh, and I that. Uh, ended up, you know, ultimately getting married. And I, uh, to this day, I'm very dear friends with both of them. And oh, that's so was cool. always the legal godparent to their three daughters, should anything happen to them and they actually needed somebody to oh, take care awesome. of them. Now they're all grown women in their 20s, but, you know, we're all very, very close. Uh, and like uh, what I like to call... Um, not a biologic family, but a logical family. <laughs> and so I was doing night shoots with uh, on Dr. Detroit when Rob Reiner called me in to meet on uh, Spinal Tap. And uh, I was told that there really wasn't a script. It was just an outline. It was very low budget. Everybody was just getting scale and blah, blah, blah. And I went in after shooting all night. So I was kind of low energy yeah. and very um, monotone in a way. And uh, Rob said to me, you know, this really isn't what I was picturing, but now that I'm seeing it, I kind of like it. <laughs> and uh, I knew that they were excellent comic actors and you had to be good at improv. And, you know, I am. Yeah. So I got the part and... Uh, we had a like a 27-page outline, and with every scene that we shot, uh, there were just certain story points that you had to hit within the improv, mm-hmm. and that was and it what it didn't take a long time to shoot at least not, and I only worked on it a few days, and uh, there were you know mostly party scenes and things, and. Um, I think I had a little bit of a cold or a a sore throat or something. I couldn't wait for it all to be over. But I did, (laughs) I was huge fans of uh, all the uh, people. It was just a parade of talent. Oh, yeah. Everybody wanted to be a part of it. And and it was Rob's, uh, you know, cinematic, directorial debut he had directed a couple of things on tv but that was the beginning of a very illustrious film career and uh, i feel very lucky you know i've actually been a part of a few music driven movies Mm -hmm. of course saturday night fever Mm -hmm. yeah and then a, a a much rarer uh known film american hot wax which uh starred um uh, well, me and Jay Leno were in it. Lorraine Newman was in it. Oh, wow. And that was a, a very music-driven movie about uh, the uh, 50s music uh, and the whole payola scandal with Alan Freed, the famous mm-hmm. DJ. Oh, right, yeah. And, uh, you know, how the uh, black um, music was beginning to cross over into uh, white listening audiences 
and uh, how there were certain, you know, conservative groups that were very opposed to it. And Alan Freed, you know, was driving that engine as much as anyone at, at the time. You know, he really thought that uh, there was great music happening within the um, black community, and he was determined to bring it uh, to a, on a more national uh, scale. Um, but they ended up getting him on, I guess, tax evasion because uh, payola was very uh, popular yeah. at the time. Oh, yeah. And a lot of very powerful DJs uh, would, ha- would take money to uh, play the music. Wow. And... Uh, and for the record, uh, anybody who wants to pay me to play their band on this podcast, I will take your choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no shame. Just claim it, baby. I will. Just I will claim. I'll put it on my taxes, but I will take your yeah, money. Exactly. That's the important part. <laughs> well, they wouldn't have cared either, I guess, if he claimed it. But, you yeah. know, it was all kind of a little under the table, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's the whole shell game aspect that they don't like. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Well, you know... When they don't like something that you do, they usually go after you, your taxes. Yeah. Yep. The old and Al Capone strategy. Yes. Oh. And they always find something <laughs> oh my if God. they want to nail you to, you know, across. Now, so that's what that movie was about. And the reason why it never went beyond cable reruns was because at the time, it was a Paramount Roberts Bigwood film. Uh, they didn't really anticipate the subsequent um, versions that the film could be uh, shown in any mm-hmm. other format. Oh, so okay. they only made the deal for uh, movies and cable. Oh, and shit. they never w- were able to release it on VHS or DVD. Oh, man. You know, and nothing like that. And that's why a lot of people don't know about it. But once in a while, you will see it on cable. And the music that they had was so incredible, they couldn't possibly renegotiate it all. It, it oh, would have been yeah. licensing too expensive. Be yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, they had everybody, real people from the 50s, like Jerry Lee Lewis and, you know, just amazing uh talent um i can't think of all the names right now but um really wonderful just jerry lee lewis alone is pretty amazing yeah seriously i know know. but there were a lot of uh a lot of people and it was really great great songs even with actors you know singing groups to play 50s groups singing things like you know sherelle's music and stuff oh yeah um, now um, you you have uh, you've been on a, a lot of talk shows over the years and uh, spoken with some terrific talk show hosts, including Johnny Carson. Am I, is that is that correct? I did, but I never actually uh, was interviewed by Johnny. Uh, Jay Leno. I was interviewed by Jay Leno, who was sitting in for him. Yes. Right. Okay. As well as you did David Letterman. Is that is that yes. correct? And. 
my one of my favorite talk shows of all time, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's sad that that's the one that impresses I me mean, the most. I'm like, oh, wow, she did a pretty that. big deal. Pretty big deal for us. I did Conan O'Brien. I, did, I really oh. did them all. And most recently I was on Seth Meyers. Oh, oh, cool! He's wonderful. Well, you, you're the the TV show that you were uh, that you were doing over at uh, the the in, indebted show. Um, that's with uh, that show was Dan Levy's show, who's a, a friend of our show, and he's been on oh, yeah. on nighttime show a bunch. And now uh, it's not Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek. No, no, it's no. the other no, no, Dan. No. Levy. Oh, okay, yeah. it's the other one. Yeah, it's uh, the Goldbergs. Dan Levy, the guy who was over. Yes, on exactly. One of them has to change their name. It's too much. Yes, yeah, too, <laughs> too many. Too many. You can't know. be in the same business with the same name. But it's you were so well, fantastic on that show. We the loved that show. The Greek guy calls himself Dan Levy. Oh. Because oh. he's So, Eugene's but I still son. feel like when yeah. they say Dan Levy, yeah. uh, more often than not, they're not talking about my Dan. <laughs> well, I love him. I think Dan Levy is a great guy. Let's just call him Fran Drescher's Dan Levy. <laughs> all right. Well, Fran, <laughs> yeah, cut all the we love Fran Drescher's Dan Levy. We <laughs> love Adam <laughs> Paley. We loved Abby Elliott. Yes. And, of yes. course, Stephen Weber, who's been on our show. And, uh, we, yeah. we, or you know what? How about just Weber. make it easy? Fran's Dan. Franz Dan. Yeah. There, you I like that. there we go. We can do that. Dan is great. Yeah. Uh, what, well, what, you know, we didn't get so picked up. I know, but it was, but it was so good, it though. It's such a great show. It was fun. You know what? I think that we were an unfortunate byproduct of this pandemic. Yeah. Nobody's back in business. And when yeah. they needed to pick us up, you know, it would have been a pay or play. I mean, for a network to pick us up and then say, but can you wait until this is all over? Yeah, uh, right. you yeah. know it doesn't really work that way because it's a union show, and at some point they'd have to start paying us, right. whether they were able to make episodes or not. Yeah, and you know the thing is, you've popped in and done you've done other shows. I mean, Happily Divorced was a terrific show, and you've done mm-hmm. other. Uh, you know, I know that you you did a spot on uh, Broad City and on Alone mm-hmm. Together and lots mm-hmm. of other really, you know, you, you know, entourage, things like this. But it, it, how do you, what's it like for you being the star of a show or being one of the stars of a show again? What was, what, what was that like, uh, you know, again, doing, doing that thing, you know? Well, uh, you know, I, I realized that, I really can't do a series unless it's my project and I'm writing it mm-hmm. and pro- and executive producing it. Yeah, because I get that. uh, that's like clipping my wings, and I don't want to just be a gun for hire. Yeah, well, it's you're a not... comedy master. Like you, you, you have been doing you know comedy you know for uh, you know a significant amount of time, and people yeah. you know people fucking love you, Fran. So like they Thank want you. they want it to be they want it to be your voice, you know. Yeah, so, you know, I think, uh, in a way, the fact that it, we did it and I met great people. We didn't mes- mention Jesse Hodges, but she was great, too, playing my daughter. Oh, sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it for the time that we did it and the people that I got to meet, you know, it was well worth doing. Would I, if it got picked up, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't have been the one clicking my heels. Mm-hmm. because it's hard for me to not 
have my hands in every part of the creative process. And I realize that. So yeah. now, you know, you live and learn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you, but, you've, you've earned the right at this point in your career to yeah. go in and sort of call your own shot. And I think it's important for you to be able to do that. Or just, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes you get to, you say, hey, maybe you don't have to work so hard. Maybe it'll be fun just to check in, do your job and go home. But uh, for me, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And I see that now. Yeah, you know. Right. So I it's mean, a good I, thing to know, you know, about yourself. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that was the opportunity. When you were doing uh, Nanny, uh, like how how involved were you in the process of of that show? I created it, right. and I executive produced it, and I directed some episodes. I wrote on every episode. I broke almost every story. Wow! And I had something to say about absolutely everything. That's awesome. Amazing. So, you know, and and I think I was one of the uh, first women to be doing that in, you know, in the early 90s. Yeah. I didn't know you were wearing all those hats doing that. That's amazing. That's incredible. We actually, there was a, a question that popped up that is very specific to you and to that show, too, is what was your favorite outfit from the nanny? And how do you feel? This is from Ashley Drew Jones. She she's sometimes on our show and lovely. And she said, "What was one of your favorite outfits on the show, The Nanny? And how do you feel that the fast fashion scene, Fashion Nova, uh, is basically copying some of your exact looks today and selling those oh, looks yeah. on their website?" I, you know, first of all, I'm totally down with it. I think that it's so great and cool. And I love that, you know, I have this millennial fan base that um, most of them were either babies when I was doing it or, you know, I mean, just really young kids. And uh, so, you know, the show turned into a classic and its longevity just is mind-blowing to me because... You know, it all started in my head, and I remember when that happened. Um, And, you know, the look of the show was a collaborative effort between me and Peter and Brenda Cooper, who won an Emmy for it, and uh, we're all still uh, dear friends to this day. And I think that, you know, it's great. I mean, um, I'm aware of all the Instagram things that pay homage to uh, the nanny and the, and the clothes and, and all of that. And uh, it's great. And mm-hmm. I'm thrilled. That's so cool. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. b- uh, before we wrap up, we have uh, one other uh, question and that is, it's a, it's a broad question, but it is a good question. Uh, Beautician and the beast. What, how, how did that come about? Uh, you have so many fans of that film, and it is so incredibly funny. How did it, uh, How did that film come about, and how did you end up uh, enjoying making it? Well, you know, uh, again, I kind of had the idea, um, and uh, uh, Peter and I and our good friend who was already an established screenplay writer, Todd Graff, mm-hmm. pitched it to... Paramount Studios, and uh, they um, bought it. And uh, so, uh, 
you know, we all kind of uh, developed it and then Todd turned it into a screenplay and uh, uh, we were involved, you know, we were all producers on it and um, it was uh, an amazing uh, experience because we got to go to Prague, the Czech Republic, uh, for about a month to shoot it. Nice. Wow. Sadly, my marriage was not in a good place then. <laughs> and I often think about that when I think about the shooting of that movie, what was going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, Peter's and my marriage to each other began to deteriorate around halfway through the series and then eventually we separated um, and then we got back together and then we separated again and that second separation eventually uh, turned into a divorce and so uh, but um, I'm very proud of it I, I loved working with Tim Dalton and uh, I you know, Sherry Lansing was the president of Paramount at mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. Uh, first woman to run a studio. And uh, she said to me years later, you know, the studio's still making money off of that movie. And even though it wasn't a huge box office hit, and that was because they released us the same weekend as the very first re-release of Star Wars. Oh, oh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> For some reason, I think they underestimated how popular that would be. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of uh, overlapping audiences because a lot of the people that grew up on Star Wars brought their kids to see it. Yeah. And so we were a family picture and they were a family picture. And we kind of, you know, just... Well, and you were a, probably getting all the business that, that was sick of Star Wars, too, <laughs> that were like, anything else, we got to watch anything nah, but it Star really Wars. No, it wasn't enough business. They kind of wiped us off the map. And so we were a non-start. You know, we didn't yeah. really ever open big enough. And uh, But then the audience found us when it started uh, playing on cable and... Uh, and on uh, DVDs and VHS and all of that. And and, uh, and it has had this incredibly enduring, um, you know, quality to it mm -hmm. that Sherry said to me, you know, I, believe me, the studio wishes every movie was like that because the big blockbusters are few and far between. And most of them, you know, don't ever find an audience and don't continue making the studio money for decades yeah. after the film was made. Right. Sure. So, you know, on the one hand, um, maybe I would be a bigger movie star if it had opened big, but on the other hand, uh, I'm very proud of it, and it continues to endure. Yeah, what's my, my mom's such a big fan of that movie, too, and we've watched it together many times, and the, the, the you know, like in... You know, like I always, of course, compared it to Beauty and the Beast, but she looked at it as like an updated version of Sound of Music, where she saw that side of it, which, uh -huh. which that was like her favorite movie. So, uh, and she loved that. Well, that, that and, actually you know. was the uh, pitch for the nanny 
what do you think about a spin on the Sound of Music only instead of Julie Andrews, I come to the door. <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. So that was the impetus. You know, that was our... Of course. That was our pitch line to the network. Mm-hmm. Wow, and, yeah, that's brilliant. And, uh, you know, they just got it so clearly, um, you know, when we did that. So by the time, years later, we were still in production on The Nanny, but we decided to produce um, uh, The Beautician and the Beast. Mm-hmm. It, you know, wasn't that big a... Uh, a stretch, uh, and it and it did have some sound of music in it, and it did have some King and I. Yeah, oh, totally, yeah. totally. You know, it was rooted in a lot of those classic type movies that all spin around that same kind of premise. Do you know? Did you ever do Broadway? Did you ever? Have you ever? I done- did. What did you I did. Do? I mean, I've done a lot of theater, but the Broadway I did was um, Cinderella on Broadway about, I guess, about uh, seven years ago, and uh, almost seven years ago, maybe six and a half years ago. And uh, I played the Wicked Stepmother. Oh, my God. And, Amazing. Uh, they, I, I had a very Cruella DeVille interpretation. And I was very glamorous and sometimes very funny and sometimes very cruel. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I wanted to create a character that, you know, you loved to hate. Not just that you hated and wished somebody would kill me, but that you actually loved to hate me. You know, you were looking forward to having me come out. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, and, uh, I, I favored every minute of it and I kept extending my run because it was <laughs> such a joyful experience. Is there uh, any other, uh, Broadway musicals that you would like to do in the future? Anything else that you're a big fan of that way? Uh, no, I don't really, I mean, uh, there's many, um, Broadway musicals that I love and enjoy, but I don't really... Um, see myself in many of them. So, are you saying I we're think... not going to see Fran Drescher starring in Hamilton? Come <laughs> on, <laughs> that I will watch. I know it's true. <laughs> um, now, you know, I mean, uh, look, I mean, the the day can come when I could do uh, Mame or Dolly mm-hmm. or things oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. But those are kind of old chestnuts and I'm not excited about it. I yeah. think that Midler did a great job and, you know, it's Ganoga ready with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, for me, for me, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I get that. she pulled yeah. in a great audience and everything, but I think at this point, because it is very physically challenging to do a Broadway musical, I would rather do like a 90-minute, one act, no intermission, uh, maybe a comedy uh, without any costume changes. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I I would enjoy doing something like that Mm -hmm. that isn't as physically taxing. 
Well, Fran, we absolutely love you. And you, you, you know, uh, anybody listening to this, go to cancerschmancer.org and go and, you know, check that out and sign up. Watch the videos. There's so much great stuff on there. Any place that, that um, social media stuff as far as where people can follow you or find you? Uh, you know, I'm official Fran Drescher on Instagram mm-hmm. and uh, at Fran Drescher on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, and usually I post on Instagram and then I click the other two. <laughs> and uh, I and then CancerSchmancer.org has a website uh, that, you know, we're all always feeding each other information and sharing stuff and posting stuff and you know uh, i have a large fan base that is very engaged in the cancer schmancer movement too um because i guess i'm kind of a trusted brand and i come across thank god as authentically as i hope to because i like to be an open book and share my experiences for the greater good and so it's all a little interconnected and uh very fluid and so yeah check out uh, Kenzie Schmancer uh, on Instagram and check out the official fan dresser cool. wonderful Mike Black where can people find you all over social media at Mike Black Attack uh, Matt Walker what about you buddy boy uh, I've got links to everything at funnymat.com or if you're upset by me in any way let me know at mattwalkersucks.com Love it. People do actually do that. It is, that is 100% real. Uh, you can always get me at Stephen Glickman, S-T-P-H-E-N, Glickman on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok because I am the oldest possible person on TikTok. It's very depressing. I'm, I do not belong there. Uh, you can always get me on LinkedIn if you're over 75 years old. Um, <laughs> don't forget to subscribe to the Nighttime Show podcast and leave us comments and share. Fran Drescher, you are a national treasure. Thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you, and I do appreciate you guys. And be well, and I hope all your listeners are well, too. And hang in, people, because there's always silver linings in even the darkest of clouds. Well, thank you, Fran. Thank you, Fran. Bye. Take care and be well. Bye-bye. Oh!